I think we all could agree in these days we're living in that there are so many people who have not yet been introduced properly to Jesus Christ. And there's a lot of people who have rejected ideas of Christianity and religious notions, but, but they haven't actually heard the true gospel. Perhaps they haven't even encountered a true believer yet. And it's so appropriate that the topic we're going to look at this morning asks the question in this Why Believe series, what about all the hypocrisy in the church? It's a very good question, actually. Because the very question behind it has several other things to consider. Like, in order to be hypocritical, you have to have a standard by which you're hypocritical of. It's interesting to ask people, what is your standard? That's something we're going to talk about today. It's also interesting because when we talk about the church, which church? What type of church? What kind of Christian are you? Isn't it interesting? You can't just say, I'm a follower of Jesus. Which kind of follower of Jesus are you? Are you one of those or one of these? Interesting how you often, even in New Jersey, before we came to England, we would often get asked, are you one of those born-again types? You know? And what's interesting is the very question obviously reveals they don't understand that the word born-again or the phrase born-again comes from Jesus. So you can almost rephrase it saying, oh, you mean am I the Christian that Jesus calls Christians? I guess you could say yes, but of course you don't want to be rude and you don't want to misrepresent the character, the heart the truth of our Lord Jesus Christ, because in these days we're living in, people have a lot of things that have been built up in their minds and hearts that have to be broken down, oftentimes before they encounter the true and living God. So I'm actually blessed to have the opportunity to share on this particular topic today because I believe today is going to be a day for many of you to just get clear again on who Jesus Christ is and to be able to have a new passion in your heart to represent him in our world because people need to see true believers as well. Of course, we all want to say the easy thing about, don't look at me, look at Jesus. End of discussion. Let's move on. Next topic. But actually, people need to know, is Jesus worth me investigating? Is he worth exploring? Is he worth getting to know more? And so this topic today helps to kindle, I pray, a renewed passion to make him known well, where we live and where God has called us to be. Now, perhaps a way to just introduce this topic, you know, as a way of uh, getting us to think about hypocrisy for what it is, is uh, you, there's a great illustration that's been used uh, where in a small town in America, where a church was established there for for years and years, decades, the Bible being taught, all of a sudden found out that across the street, a, a bar was going to be uh, built up for um, heavy drinking and alcohol consumption. And of course, this church was concerned. How will this affect the community? Will people in our congregation leave our church and maybe go and get drunk? And not everybody's responsible these days. People don't always know how to control their drink. So, so this church decided to petition and pray that this bar would not open up across the street. And of course, as the bar continued to build and build, and, and, and a bar is basically an American pub, you know, but in a sense, a lot of people do go to these places, as you know, here in the UK, to drown out their problems. Alcohol can be a god for many people. And, and so, you know, there was this church praying and petitioning until finally, just a few days before the bar was going to be complete, lightning struck and the entire building collapsed and fell down. Well, the owner of the bar said, I'm going to sue that church. I know it's because of their prayers. 
So for $2 million, they're going to sue this church. And the church, though, puts a defense and says, it was not because of our prayers. We want to present evidence that this was not from us. And they appealed to Harvard University's uh, case study that intercessory prayer has no effects on people. And so they did this whole thing. Well, when it was all said and done, the judge is looking at this whole report going, I don't know how I'm going to make a judgment on this case. But one thing I do know is there's a bartender that believes in the power of prayer, and there's a whole congregation in church that doesn't. Such is hypocrisy. See, hypocrisy is saying one thing and believing one thing and doing another. You know, in our day and age, I think we've all met hypocrites. I think we've all looked in the mirror and said, have I ever been hypocritical? Well, you know, one thing we should think about is, you know, advertising in our world promotes hypocrisy. Here's a thought for you. It's almost impossible to see an ad and then to buy the product of the ad and to see it look exactly like what you saw on the ad. For example, if you grew up in America, you would see that we've got loads of fast food places. Now, we all can agree on the fact that one of the well-known fast food places is McDonald's. But whenever you look at a picture in a McDonald's, you see something like this. But notice on the left side is the picture in the store, uh, in, the, in the very place where you're going to buy your burger. On the right side is the burger you open up in the package. You see how it looks a bit different? On the left side is what you see, and on the right side is what you get. And I have never, ever seen a burger at McDonald's that looked like the picture. I just haven't yet. I don't really go to McDonald's much anymore, which has made my stomach much stronger and healthier these days. But let me say this. All of us in this place need to ask the question, why do people want to present something that's not true about themselves? Do you know, for me personally, I like knowing that people are honest with me, and I don't want to be misled. I don't want to see people wearing masks and you know, putting on a spiritual front. In fact, as a pastor, I find it very encouraging, actually, when people are honest about their struggles, honest about what's going on in their life. I discern by the Holy Spirit sometimes things that I know someone's not being honest with me. There have been times when the Lord has shown me something of a particular sin in someone's life and, and I knew about it and of course then they came and told me about it and I already knew the Holy Spirit had showed me. There are times in our own lives, I think all of us can say as Christians, you know the Holy Spirit doesn't let you get away with anything. As a Christian, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. He guides us to the truth. And Jesus Christ says, I am the truth. And so what better way to represent Jesus than to first of all be truthful people? People of reality. People of authenticity. People who aren't afraid to say it like it is. To live it like we're called to live. And I think, you know, one of the things that, that I'm really challenged with in, in, in our kind of present age right now is the fact that I think a lot of people today are actually hungry for authenticity in all levels of life. And, and what I want us to do this morning is I want us to consider what are we dealing with today that you know is just not authentic in your own life or authentic in the world that you're living in, in the, in the season of life that you're in. You know, what's interesting is that... Um, if we were just to start with a definition, we're going to get into a text that's going to launch us into all of this in a moment, but let me just say this. 
if you were just to stop and say, is there hypocrisy in me? Well, let's just look at a definition first of all. And I'm going to go with Cambridge because I live in Cambridge instead of an Oxford dictionary. So here's what the Cambridge dictionary says. A situation in which someone pretends to believe something they do not really believe or that is the opposite of what they do or say at another time. Now, if you read a definition like this, could it say after that that you've done something like this? That you haven't always lived what you believe? You haven't always been honest with where you're at? Sometimes you do the opposite thing of what you're telling others not to do or, or what you're telling others to do, and, and so you're misrepresenting yourself, you're misrepresenting the faith, you're misrepresenting Christ, and the world points and goes, see, that's why I'm not a Christian, because of that guy, that, that woman, and look at the hypocrisy. And of course, you got to know, the world is looking for it, right? The world just waits for you to mess up. The world just longs to see you stumble and fall so they can point the finger and go, and you call yourself a Christian. This is the world we live in. But you know, the word hypocrisy has been around for a long time. You know, a hypocrite in the, in the, in the Greek language would have been called a hypocritus. A hypocritus. It was an actor term. It was a player in a theater in Greece uh, or any kind of Grecian city where they would wear a mask to portray something that the person actually is not. And so this is where the word comes from. Uh, the word hypocrisy, the word hypocrisis, is basically a word that was used by Jesus at various different points in his ministry in talking about religious people. So what's interesting is that even in the Bible, religious people are the subject of hypocrisy more than anyone else. So it shouldn't surprise us that in the world, Christians are, and, and people who have religious backgrounds are often the focal point of hypocrisy. Religion and politics being right at the top. It's pretty close. Most people call most politicians pretty hypocritical. But here's the thing. For all of us today, when you consider what is true, what is real, what is authentic, I want you with me for a moment to think about acting as it relates to what goes on every day in our world. People act. Do you know what? You rarely get to actually have a day where you don't come across hypocrisis, hypocrisy. Someone acting, someone misrepresenting, somebody pretending, somebody misleading. I uh, read a lot of Shakespeare when I was in school, did a lot of reading, and I remember, for example, when uh, in the book of ha you know, Hamlet, the, the play Hamlet, do you remember there was a particular point in, uh, in that play where you get the expression all of us are familiar with, you know, to thine own self be true? Do you remember it was in Act 1, Scene 3, where Polonius speaks to Laertes? And I remember this play really well, because I had to actually memorize some scripts from this particular play. And, uh, and I always was struck by the phrase before it that nobody remembers. Because he's actually speaking to his son, and he says, this above all. Nobody ever quotes that part. He says, to thine own self be true. And it must follow as the night the day thou canst not be false to any man. And I think, you know, we are always desiring for people to be true to us, but we're not always prepared to be true to them. Hamlet, in a few scenes later, in a, two acts later, you know, he basically says something very similar when he's giving his to be or not to be. That is the question. I think we have a better question. To be, leave, or not to believe. That's the real question. But Hamlet ends with his little soliloquy saying, 
to Ophelia, I have heard of your paintings too. Well enough, God has given you one face and yet you make yourself another. So the idea of wearing a different face, a different mask, has a lot to do with the history of this word. It has to do with understanding the wearing of masks. But the thing that I want to challenge us with today is not Shakespeare. It's not the world. It's not the news. It's not the people speaking. I just want to go straight to God's holy word and ask this question. What does the Bible have to say about hypocrisy? Would you turn with me to Luke chapter 6? The Gospel of Luke chapter 6 is going to be our lead-in text as we continue to look at this particular subject. And we're going to start in verse 39. There's much to say about hypocrisy throughout the Gospels. But I think perhaps as Jesus speaks this parable, he gets us right into the understanding of reality, authenticity, and the pretense that is often there. So he says in verse 39, And he spoke a parable to them, Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and do not perceive the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Brother, let me remove the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye? Hypocrite, Jesus says. First, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. Let's keep reading. Verse 43. For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. One more verse. But why do you call me Lord, Lord? And do not do the things that I say. With that, let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, the reason why we're gathered here today is to make much of Jesus, to know Jesus, to see Jesus, to behold Jesus, and to believe Jesus. But Lord, so many people in this world won't even give Jesus an opportunity. Father, we understand that it's the work of the Holy Spirit that draws people to yourself. We know that without the grace of, of you, God, we can't ever earn our way to heaven. We can't do enough good things to undo our bad. We can't even, Lord, erase the memory that is in the minds and hearts of many people who we've wronged. But what we can do is be honest, humble, willing to admit our sin, willing to say we need you, Jesus, and ask you today to guide us into the truth because what point is anything in life worth living if we don't even start with the point of honesty? At what point can we honestly admit to being true followers of you, Jesus, when we're not committed to doing what you tell us to do, at least to be committed with all of our hearts toward it? Lord, we don't want to be a people of excuses, but a people with a great testimony and witness for you. We want to, Lord, let our lives explain the gospel. We want to live in such a way where people see us as the light and salt of the earth. We want to, Lord, represent you well. God, I pray this message would touch every heart today. For the seeker who's asking such a question, what about the hypocrisy? And for the believer 
who's wanting to get rid of any and all hypocrisy in their life. But Lord, most of all, would we see Jesus as the most authentic and purest expression of true love and of righteousness and truth in this world. Lord, we look to Jesus today for the answers. So speak to us now, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. 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 So this passage that we just looked at, you know, I'm actually going through the Gospel of Luke in my own personal devotions, and I was in this passage not that long ago, and I was really struck at the way that Jesus, when presenting these particular, you know, questions, can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? And a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. I want you to stop and think about this. Everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. There's only one perfect teacher in this world. It's not John. It's not me. It's Jesus Christ. It's the Holy Spirit working through a vessel. I can tell you this. I never get up and preach the word until this word has been very seriously preached to me. Until I've examined my heart and just allowed the Holy Spirit to expose anything in my life that I need to get clean and cleared, that I need to be right before him, I will never want to stand before people and misrepresent God's love and character by not being honest with my own heart before God. I've never stood up as a perfected person by my own works, but I always remember that by the faith in Jesus Christ, I've been made perfect. I've been justified, declared righteous before God before people. Wow, isn't that amazing that there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus? Isn't it amazing that Jesus, though, as our teacher, is not just wanting to save you, but to teach you how to live in light of being saved? See, we gather every week, not just to say, hey, praise God, I did whatever I wanted from Monday through Saturday, and here we are Sunday morning. This is where I ask God for forgiveness and hear John preach a word, and then I sort of say, thank you, Jesus, for another week of forgiveness after all the terrible things I've done. But rather, it's an opportunity for me to progress and to mature and rather to bless and to serve each other. I, I was struck by, I love your, your little sign here that you have to the left of the stage, all these one another's. Because, you know, the one anothering is proof that you've met the one who is like no other. You never serve and love one another until you met the one who's like no other. And Jesus Christ is the only one who you could ever say this. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, if you have good friends, you know you're with them in the good, you're with them in the bad. And you can never say to one of your friends, you know, you're just the same yesterday, today, and forever. Part of the reason why we need friendship so much is we need to be there for each other because we're changing so much from yesterday, today. But the Holy Spirit in us gives us the ability to build each other up, to encourage each other. But sadly, a lot of people look at the followers of Jesus and have a lot of accusation. You all remember Gandhi, of course, you know, known for his passive resistance. Gandhi was enamored with Jesus Christ. You should see the way Gandhi speaks of Jesus. He actually speaks better of Jesus than some Christians I know. But Gandhi had one major issue. Gandhi said, if it, if it wasn't for those followers, I think I'd actually become one. Gandhi was really bothered 
by the hypocrisy and the inconsistency of the people who follow Jesus. Jesus wants to train his people to look like him. He does that by the Holy Spirit. He does it through the word. In fact, in John 17, 17, he said, Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. We understand the word of God cleanses us. John 15, 3, you are clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. We understand that the word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And so we need to follow the word of God and and do what the word says. But here's the question. If you don't open up the word, is it possible that you're a follower of Jesus or a son and daughter of Jesus? In other words, you're saved by Jesus, but you're living in the dark. See, if you don't open up this book, how are you going to take a look and know the right way to walk? How are you going to know where to go and what to do and how to respond? This book When you read it, it reads you. Hallelujah. The Holy Spirit uses the word of God to show and expose things in your life that aren't right. I know no other mirror to look at than the Bible for what's going on in my heart. I can't look in the mirror and say, oh, yep, I'm unkind. I can see when my hair's out of place. I can see if my clothes don't match. But none of that stuff really matters. What matters, especially for John, he doesn't have to worry about his hair in the mirror. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. I can only say that because I love him so much. Some say it's white hairs that bring wisdom, but John clearly proves that you can have wisdom without white hairs as well. Oh, he's got it in his beard. Do you know, I love God's people. You know, for me, it's a joy to be here today. It's a joy to be wherever God's people gather. I love the uniqueness in the body of Christ. But you know the thing I love about the uniqueness and diversity of all the believers in the body of Christ? I love that we all are underneath the same head and that we're all looking to Jesus to get ahead. You don't get ahead in life until you look to the head who is life. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. So if you want to disrobe yourself of hypocrisy and uncleanness and and dirtiness and filthiness, you've got to come to the cross. And the blood of Jesus Christ will cleanse you from all sin and wash it as far as the east is from the west. Now, brothers and sisters, here's the thing I have to ask you, though. When you read this statement up here, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Is there anything in your life where you're saying, I know the Bible says this, but... If there's a single area in your life where you're saying today, I know God's word is telling me to go this direction, but you don't understand. And and you give an excuse or a context, like if you only knew my wife, if you only knew my husband, if you only understood what I'm going through with my work and my kids, if you've got a reason why you're not following the word, you're essentially doing this, saying indirectly, I have a standard that is higher to me than the Bible. So Jesus would say, why do you call me Lord? Lord, and not do the things which I tell you to do. See, the word Lord, the word kurios in the Greek, Adonai in Hebrew, the word Lord specifically means to be the one who governs and rules and reigns over you. Anyone who was a Lord, even a lowercase Lord, had authority over your life. Well, Jesus is the Lord of Lords. He's got the highest authority. So it's not right for me to be a believer and to ever condone or conclude that an action in my life is all right if it's against Scripture. And I actually welcome 
and praise the Lord to have dear brothers like John and others who can tell me straight on and we can confess our sin too when anything is out of balance or out of bounds in our lives where we're missing the mark. You know, I have many friends. In fact, I'm honest with my congregation back in Cambridge. I'm honest with my brothers and sisters. Wherever I am, I want to be walking in the light. Because the Bible says, if you walk in the light as he is in the light, that's how you have fellowship with your, your brothers and your sisters. So, so it's so key. In fact, you know, many of you have perhaps heard of Hudson Taylor. He was the great missionary to China that did amazing pioneering work that many, even the Cambridge Seven who went on afterwards, like C.T. Studd and others, continued the work that he began there. And isn't it amazing that, by the way, when Hudson Taylor went to China, Christianity was such a small percentage. But you know that today we can actually say on this Sunday morning, there are more Christians in China today than anywhere else in the world. Hallelujah. Why? Because someone believed that Jesus Christ was worth talking about. Someone believed that it was worth giving it all and giving him my best to tell the rest of the world who he is so people can be properly introduced to the Son of Man. But Hudson Taylor said this, quote, the inconsistencies of Christian people who, while professing to believe their Bibles, were yet content to live just as they would if there were no such book, had been one of the strongest arguments for my skeptical companions, end quote. Many people who have answered the call to missionary work, many people who have gone to tell the good news of Jesus have confronted people and encountered people who would say, yeah, but I met one of you Christians before. I've been to church. They only ask for money. They only want you to just, you know, accept their little dogma and their doctrines, but they don't really care about you. I find more love in my community, some say. How tragic. Because I can tell you this, I've been a believer in Jesus since I was 10 years old. And I can honestly tell you that one of the things that drew me to Christ was the power and authority and authenticity of the life of Jesus and the word of God and the love that I saw in the people. I was drawn to the community there in Costa Mesa, California at the very first Calvary Chapel that I went to and and to see the love of Jesus and the people drew me. In fact, I found more love there than I did oftentimes expressed in the interactions in our home or among my friends. And I thought, I just couldn't wait to be with God's people. Now, there was a lot of baggage and a lot of burdens and a lot of things that had to be dealt with in our family. My, my parents had a pretty rough past growing up in the Bronx in New York in poverty and in the projects. And there was a lot of striving to overcome hurt, pain, obstacles. Some of you have had to overcome hurt, pain, obstacles. But no one has ever had to overcome more than Jesus Christ. No one has ever had to hurt more than Jesus and to do more than Jesus. And no one could ever be on that cross and with perfect honesty say these words. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And I honestly believe most people who use the hypocrisy argument against the Christian faith are just blind to the fact that they don't see their own need for a Savior yet, and they're too busy pointing the finger at everyone else that they can't even recognize why Jesus even went to the cross. Because listen, here's the crazy part about this whole question. Why is there hypocrisy in the church? If we were already morally virtuous and right people without Jesus, then when Jesus said, Father, if there be any other way, let this cup pass for me, it would have passed. There would have been plenty of people who just weren't 
needing Jesus, who weren't needing forgiveness, who weren't needing the blood of Christ, and they would have just had their acts together. And Jesus would have said, actually, there's enough good people out there to just get the job done. Can I tell you this? The Bible's very clear. Romans 3.10, for it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus knew the only way to restore man to glory and to reconcile sinful man with the holy God is he had to bridge the gap. And the cross of Jesus Christ undoes the curse and reverses the penalty that was against us so that not only did Jesus forgive the sin, but Jesus replaced the sinner. Brothers and sisters, Jesus makes a way when there doesn't seem to be a way. So the, po- the point is, when the world is trying to find the perfect person, They just need to go to the cross and go to Christ. But if you believe in the perfect person and you've received Jesus Christ, there is a call to live a holy life, to be wholly devoted to him, to be following him, and to do what the Lord says. But you know, here's the interesting thing. I've been thinking about this a lot lately, especially in Cambridge, because I talk to people about Jesus all the time, wherever I go, coffee shops, Wherever I talk to people on our greens and we go and I do, uh, some of you have been on the Christian history tours that I've done. Some of you um, know that I have a huge passion for just talking about Jesus wherever, however, whoever, because I know there's nothing more exciting to talk about. First of all, I, get, I, I light up. If, if I'm depressed, I talk about Jesus. I know the single greatest thing to pull me out of depression is to go share the gospel with somebody. Because the moment I'm speaking about Jesus to somebody, I'm actually reminding myself of everything I believe and everything I stand for, everything I live for. And I'm realizing, do you know what? My problem isn't as big as I thought. But let me say this. Every time that I'm out with people and I'm talking with people, I'm starting to realize that there's a worldview out there that is so contradictory, and yet people haven't even had it exposed. For example, would you all agree with this statement? We live in a present culture, okay? Listen to this. We live in a present culture that says it's wrong to say something's wrong. Now, it's true, right? I think I said something that's pretty true. It's wrong to say something's wrong. So I, I, I want to raise my hand and say, are you right? What if I disagree? Am I wrong? Now they have to say, yes, you're wrong. But if, if, if they say, yes, I'm wrong, then they're wrong. Do you see the inconsistency? You see, it's impossible to fight for the right to say it's wrong to tell people they're wrong. Because the moment you make the statement, you're saying you're right. You see, we live in a day and age where it's so backwards, it's so flip-flop, but they're so blinded, it takes someone to put the truth on the table and say, has anyone thought about this? I actually was talking to an atheist librarian at the school where I'm a chaplain. I actually had the opportunity to counsel troubled teenagers for the last four years at a village college in Cambridge. Amazing opportunity God's given to me. And for the last year, me and an atheist teacher go back and forth talking about God and truth and all this stuff. And she decided to, after the first few weeks, hey, we need to invite students into this. We, we started this thing called the Thinking Forum. And at lunchtime, students come into the library and discuss life where basically we talk about what is the God view? What is the atheist view? And, and talk about these things. And you know, it's been awesome because I love what Charles Spurgeon once said. I just put my straight rod next to their crooked rod and let them decide. <laughs> you know, it's just so clear. And, and, and the amazing thing is we've seen some students come to faith and, and even the atheist teacher has said to me recently, you know, Joey, I've never met a Christian like you who's answered questions 
that I've had for years and has made it so attractive to want to know God. And I realized, wow, that's an incredible thing for her to say. But she recently said to me as well, she goes, you, make, you may make a convert out of me after all. And I said, well, look, that won't be me when that happens. But I said, I will be praying for it to happen because I know that God has so much more to show you so that the next time you see a beautiful sunset, you won't just go, wow, you'll be able to thank someone for it. I had an atheist student at Cambridge University say, that's one thing about you Christians. You give credit to the things that are beautiful. We can't. Isn't that interesting? Anytime you see something beautiful, we know, who, we know where it comes from. But if you're an atheist, what an accidental arrangement of molecules. <laughs> wow. I have never seen such a coincidental occurrence of a sunset with cumulus nimbus clouds at the aspheric pressure at just the right time, creating that beautiful array of symmetrical light. <laughs> Do you know, God makes all things beautiful in its time. I give credit where credit is due. And you know, this is so key because the world doesn't know what to do with a standard that doesn't even hold up. If you were to say, it's wrong for a man to strap a bomb to himself and kill people, you should actually ask that person, why is he wrong? Now, we all agree it's wrong, but we can prove it. We can defend it. They just have to say, it's just wrong, and he should know better. Why? Who's telling him there's a better way than destroying people that he feels is not important on the food chain, not important on the eugenics? Sounds a bit like a world war that we went through over the same issue where a man started to rate humanity by certain criteria and convinced his whole nation and others to follow in this Nazism, as we know, right? Because we start to say some people deserve to live and some don't. But why was Hitler wrong? Why is a man today wrong? I have an answer. The Bible says God hates hands that, sh that shed innocent blood. The Bible says thou shalt not commit murder. The Bible says that God created us to live. And Jesus says, I've come to give you life and that more abundantly. I can give you a very good reason why it's wrong. What about you? What, what, what's your reason why he's wrong? You see People need to be confronted today. They need to be confronted with the fact that you can't change the truth. Oh, you can accept it. Oh, you can reject it, but you can't change it. I used to say that all the time to the students when I taught apologetics back in California. Truth cannot be changed. It can only be ignored. I believe we need to see a restored presentation of truth by Christians in our world today to stand up against all of this ridiculous double standards, inconsistency, and the intolerance of tolerance. Because if people really are tolerant, they would never speak against Christianity, would they? They would never say Christians are wrong, but they say it all the time. Oh, you Christians. Oh, do you believe in tolerance? You see, brothers and sisters, we are in a time, you might even be sitting here, you might be one of those. You might be, I don't know everyone in here today, you might be sitting here saying, I'm listening to the world and they're sounding convincing. You know, some of you are, are wavering in your faith because you're starting to think they're the ones that are loving. They're saying everything goes, but they're not saying that because as soon as somebody does something against what they believe, they say that's wrong. But then they say in the classroom at school, it's wrong to say something's wrong and they're inconsistent. Christians should be the most consistent people on this planet because we have a book 
that is our authority and standard in all of these things. And we know that Jesus Christ demonstrated his love for us, that even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Everybody look up here, Romans chapter 2. In Romans chapter 2, we've got a passage of Scripture that deals with about, you know, not judging others when you yourself practice the same things. And when you get to the end of this chapter, I love this section where it says, you therefore, verse 21, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Wow, that's strong words. Paul the Apostle would say that the conscience in every human being either accuses us or excuses us in this chapter and that we have the ability to have God's moral law written on our hearts. You know, by the way, when you talk to an unbeliever, I've never yet heard a different answer to this. But when I talk to unbelievers, I often say this. When you were younger, let me just ask you honestly, regardless of what you were raised with, maybe you didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't grow up, you know, being taught the Bible when I was young either. Um, when you were younger and you told your first lie, did it feel wrong? Every time I've heard a yes. The first time you said something that when the words came out of your mouth and it didn't match what was really true in reality, did you feel like you did something wrong? They all say yes to this. And everybody knows Everybody has lied. And as soon as you say you didn't, you just did. <laughs> but brothers and sisters, listen. Why is it that it feels wrong? Where does the moral capacity to recognize our own flaws and our inconsistencies come from if there's no moral lawgiver? I always like to remind people, by the way, I, I was a communications major when I first went to university, and I, I love pointing out the power of communication to people. Because right now, as I'm speaking, words are coming from my mind onto my tongue. The vibrations are forming in such a way that I can make the syllables sound so clearly, even if I talk fast, and they can go through the air, and they can fly out in, in a way. And all of a sudden, the vibrations are hitting your ear into the anvil and the hammer, into the eardrum, and it's processing in this little matter called the brain. And then all of a sudden, it's, it's processing. And before you even have to think about it or program it or anything, you're understanding what I'm saying, right? <laughs> kind of. Sort of. Joey, slow down. Okay. So as you and I talk and communicate. If I asked everybody right now for the rest of my message this morning, I'd like all of you to close your eyes. Now that you've seen me and now that you've heard my voice, you don't have to close your eyes. Some of you did that. Thank you for your kindness. You didn't have to close your eyes. I was just saying that rhetorically. But if you closed your eyes for the rest of the message, you would know that the words you're hearing come from a communicating agent. Someone has communicated them. But we now know that inside the human cell is so much information, ordered and sequenced DNA that's so complex that it brings all the genetics of your mother, your father, into that cell, in every cell. Even a strand of hair can discover so much of our DNA. But here's my question. Where did all that information come from if no one informed it? You don't get ordered, meaningful communication without a communicator. Ask that to your atheist friend next time you talk to them. Explain how communication can be there without a communicator. It's all in my DNA. My whole body is programmed with more complexity than the computer I use, but you would never say the computer accidentally works. Someone programmed it. A person programmed it. But who programmed what's inside the person? That if I cut myself, 
my body knows exactly what to do because it's programmed to create a blood clot and it's communicated information to the cells that do it. And who put the information there? Now, I'm not probably as knowledgeable in science as some of you, but I know enough to know there's no way that could happen without the handy and design of God. So here's what we have to ask. What is the standard that people are using when they say something is right or wrong? See, in our present culture, let me go back to this. If it's wrong to say something is wrong, and if I don't agree, am I wrong? Didn't I just expose that the worldview that most people are operating in today just doesn't actually work? I often say this. It would be arrogant of me to say that my opinion is better than your opinion. But you're, in a sense, saying your opinion is better than my opinion unless you and I can actually agree to a standard that's outside of your opinion and my opinion. And I have a standard that's not my opinion. My standard comes from God, the maker of heaven and earth. This standard has been proven throughout time that in all cultures, wherever these words were followed, by the way, it has freed people from oppression. Do you know that when slavery ended in Britain with William Wilberforce, he appealed to an authority that was outside of himself and appealed to God's word? Do you know that when Dr. Martin Luther King spoke against racism in America, he appealed to the scriptures and didn't tell Christians to put away your Bibles, but to take them more seriously? It doesn't matter what has happened in our world for good, I bet you the source behind it has a solidarity with the Bible if it really is good. I have yet to hear something good in our world that didn't have its source in the Bible. Because when God created everything, he said everything was good. Nothing was made that was made that was not good. Now, Jesus, he actually made himself the standard. Here's something interesting. Jesus alone defines and demonstrates the standard for us all. And I love Acts 1.1. Do you know that? The book of Acts, by the way, is Jesus is done. Now it's your turn. It's the passing of the baton. It's all of a sudden Acts is the early church gathering together to receive the same anointing that Jesus got. But did you ever notice the first teaching in the book of Acts? Acts 1, verse 1. Take a look. Luke writes, The former account I wrote to you, O Theophilus, of all the things that Jesus began both to do and to teach. What does that teach you in the opening verse of Acts? That before it's our turn, understand when it was Jesus' turn to live in this world among sinners and to live in a fallen world of creation, Jesus did what he taught and he taught what he did. He said what he meant and he meant what he said. And here's the beautiful thing. The most consistent, the most honorable, and the most pure man that ever walked this earth was persistent in helping people who were fallen to get back up, people who were dirty to be made clean. And you know what you could say about Jesus? He was a radical reformer where he changed, and he changed the status of women. Did you know that for you ladies, the single most influential figure to make sure women were not oppressed in the world was Jesus Christ. The first witnesses at the resurrection were women. Jesus was the first Jewish rabbi to welcome anyone to be a disciple, male or female, if they would deny themselves, take up the cross and follow him. Anywhere where Christianity has spread, the role of women have elevated. Wherever Christianity has not reached, the role of women is still oppressed. Take a look. You do your research. I would say to you, I'm absolutely convinced. No hesitation, no limitation. The Bible is the word of God, and everything good finds its source in God. 
Everything good is from Jesus Christ. Everything. Now you say, Joey, wait a minute. Are you trying to say that if an atheist out there does something good that they're false? No. Let me say this. False people adhere to Christian standards without them even knowing it. And there are loads of atheists who do wonderful things, philanthropic things, you know, philanthropy and all kinds of good things are done by non-believers every day. I would never say to you that unbelievers are immoral people like without any good things they ever do. I would say all people are immoral, but anybody can do good at any time. But whenever they do good, without them knowing it or not, they're doing something in agreement with God. That's the point. Everyone who does good is just agreeing with God when they do it, even if they don't think he exists. Because the very idea of what they're doing that is good started with God. In fact, can we even say this? Without Christianity's standards, you don't even have the ability to argue and criticize Christians about hypocrisy. And let me even say this. The very standard that people are opposed to in our world, which is absolute truths and moral rights and all of the rest, is the very thing that they're using to make their own case when they say, we think it's right that people should be liberated and people should be equal rights and people should have, be able to do whatever they want. And in, indirectly what they're saying is, oh, so you want to make sure that people are, what, loved? You want to make sure people are valued? You want to make sure people are cared for? Well, those are Christian ideals. The problem is, you don't get to rewrite the story and change and edit the text. If God has made a judgment, that judgment stands because it's what's beneficial for all of society. And we need to get back to believing in God's holy scriptures and trust his living word. In Luke chapter 12, it says, and I'm going to read this to you, verse 1, just Luke 12 verse 1 says, In the meantime, when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together so that they trampled one another, he began to say to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy hypocrisy. And then he goes on to say, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light, and whatever you have spoken in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but after that, have no more they can do. Are you willing to bank your life on the truth of God's word from this day forward to say, I may not be a perfect person, I may not be the best example in my community, but I'm going to live my life every day with Jesus Christ at the forefront, and I'm going to aim to look like him, love like him, be like him, not through my effort, but through his spirit. And by the power of that spirit working in me, his spirit in me, I want to set an example in my community of what it looks like to be light and salt in this earth. Are you willing to go forward today and to take serious that Jesus spoke harshly against the religious people who showed up at meetings, perhaps like this, and went away unaffected, unchanged, unconvicted. Jesus said everything actually flows from the heart. He said, you know, out of the, out of the good treasure of one's heart brings forth good things, out of the evil treasure of one's heart brings forth evil things. But if you look at this passage that I have in front of you in Matthew 15, Look right in the middle. It says, do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated, but those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and they defile a man? For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, theft, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. Wow. But to eat with unwashed hands, that doesn't defile a man. 
Have you been focusing on the wrong thing? Is today's message a wake-up call for some of you to get your heart in the right place? What good is it today to say, I had good coffee, but I didn't get a good word? What good is it today to say, my hands are clean, but my heart's still filthy? What good is it today to leave this place and say, well, it's a good thing we got guys out there like Joey and John preaching the word of God up at the front for us each Sunday or something. Listen, we're equipping you to do the work of ministry because I won't meet the people you meet. I don't get to be at the school where some of you students are at or be at the workplaces where some of you work at, but I trust that if we build each other up week after week, day after day, we'll all be shining the light the way God calls us to. And Jesus, he had a lot to say against the people who didn't do it this way. He said, hypocrites were wolves in sheep's clothing, whitewashed tombs, he said, snakes and brood of vipers. Today, we have other terms. That man is a two-timing cheat, a fraud, a hypocrite. James tells us not to be a double-minded man who's unstable in all of our ways. So I want to bring this message to a close this morning with a challenge. Are you prepared to live without hypocrisy? Are you prepared to let God work in your life? Romans 12, 9 says, let love be without hypocrisy, without a mask. If you genuinely love someone, show it. And if you have an issue with someone, go talk with them. That's how you make sure there's no hypocrisy. Go talk to them, not to somebody else. You have no right to talk to somebody else until you've talked to the person about the issue and problem that you're dealing with. You need wisdom, you might say. Joey, I got a tough situation. Well, James 3.17 says, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And in the apostle Peter, who knew a lot about hypocrisy because he sometimes said something and did another, when he was restored, he encouraged the saints. Chapter two, verse one, therefore laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking. He tells us to desire the pure milk of the word that we could grow thereby if we've tasted that the Lord is indeed gracious. Praise the Lord, everyone. Jesus fulfills the standard. I want to say to every one of you today, please hear my heart, that my Savior absorbed every false act, every mask-wearing, every hypocrisy, every double standard, every inconsistency, every contradiction, Jesus said, I willingly lay down my life. I am absorbing it all. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that God made Jesus who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In Romans 6.23, it says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus is the standard that gets everything back on track. And when you talk to people who are complaining about hypocrisy, just say, what do you think about Jesus? Do you think he was a hypocrite? Because you are not going to stand before God based on what the church did. You're going to stand before God based on what you believe concerning what Jesus did. And Jesus Christ has no hypocrisy in him. So I always bring the table right back to somebody and say, do you think Jesus was one of those hypocrites? Well, Jesus said, follow me. And I'll make you a fisher of men. 
I've been following Jesus for the last 30 years, and I can tell you that it's fun fishing with Jesus. It's exciting to fish with Jesus because I get to watch every day people be cleansed and clarified and corrected and confirmed by the standard that we all hold so dearly, which is Jesus Christ. Hypocrisy is real. I don't deny it, but I will say this. When someone says, I can't step into a church because there's a bunch of hypocrites there. Well, I said, you may not want to go to Tesco either. There's some hypocrites there too. You may not actually want to go to the bank, you know, that teller there. She may not be so honest. And you know what else? You know, in your city center, I'm sure there's some people walking up and down those streets that are hypocrites. You wouldn't have to leave your house. You wouldn't be able to go very far if you don't want to be in the same place with hypocrites. How about this? Why don't you take your mask off? And why don't you get honest before God? Because the Bible says all things are naked and open to him to whom we must give account. Friends, brothers and sisters, I believe God is speaking right now, calling us to a greater life of purity. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Let's get rid of those things that we're dabbling with, those little things we're doing, because even though no one sees your hypocrisy, that inconsistency in your life affects your conscience, which affects your character, which affects your attitude, and affects your actions at the end of the day, because it's out of the heart that precede all the words and actions of our lives. So what you do in quiet that nobody else sees in public has everything to do with the kind of person you are when they do see you in public. So brothers and sisters, let's not be hypocritical when the lights are out, for all things done in darkness do come to the light. And I challenge you today, perhaps you need to repent of something. Perhaps you need to get clear. Perhaps you need to take your mask off, even with a relationship that you have that you've not been honest with or a situation that you've been tampering with. Let's be pure. Let's be holy before God. Let's let God have his way. Would you bow your hearts with me? Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I thank you for every person in this place. Lord, you died on the cross of Calvary to take away the shame and the sin and the guilt of every person in this room. And Father, I ask right now that your cleansing power through your blood, through the work of your Holy Spirit, you would expose to us the inconsistencies of our lives. The areas where there perhaps is some hypocrisy. Areas where, Lord, we're saying one thing and doing another or we're believing one thing and not living in consistency with it. Lord, the one place you want to work in our lives is in the heart. So would you search our hearts and see if there be any wicked way in us that you might lead us in the way everlasting. While every eye is closed and every head is bowed, I want to ask today, has the Holy Spirit brought you to a place of honesty this morning and humility this morning where you can see your standard again as Jesus? And perhaps you haven't been following him as closely as you ought. Perhaps you haven't been believing in his finished work. I want to invite you right where you are just to say yes to Jesus. And listen, I'm only here to be an encouraging and just to be a messenger of truth for you today. But I would love to pray for you. So while every eye is closed and head is bowed, if the Holy Spirit has shown you that there's something that's been out of alignment in your life and God is speaking to you and you know the Lord's calling you to repent, believer in here or even someone who's never put their faith in Jesus, I just want to ask you just where you are, would you lift your hand? And the reason why is I want to pray for you right now. I know the Holy Spirit is talking. God bless each one of you. Praise the Lord. You know who you are. It's between you and the Lord, but this is an opportunity to respond and say, Lord, get me clean and make me right. Anyone else before I pray? Just lift it up. Just, just to acknowledge before God. Praise the Lord. Father, all these hands across the room, my, mine as well, Lord, to say, God, make me clean and whole. I may not even see something in my life that you see. 
God, would you keep us in the place where we pray like this? Oh, Lord, show me. Search my heart. Guide us in your truth. Lord, we don't want people looking at the church and saying, oh, what about all the hypocrisy there? But we're now more equipped than ever to, to know how to respond to people when they say such things. We can point them right back to you, Jesus. And we can show them our, with our sincerity that we are committed to following the Lord. Father, would you help us to be honest from this day forward, to, to be real and authentic in our expressions of faith? And would you just, with every hand that was raised, Lord, give them the power now to overcome sin. Give them the power now to turn to the cross. Give them the power now to remember that if we walk in the spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Lord Jesus, have your way. Cleanse us as your church. Let us be a people set apart for you, living for you as light and salt in these days. Bless Servants Church, Lord. Bless John Brown and the leadership team here. Bless each and every person, God, that has come to this fellowship to learn about Christ. May we not just learn and hear, but be doers and multipliers of what we hear. Lord Jesus, have your way in us. Make us disciples who make more disciples. We love you and praise you for your grace and mercy. And we believe that Jesus, you died in our place and rose again. And our faith and trust is in you. In Jesus' name and for his glory, we all said, amen. amen.